0: Welcome to another episode of Winging It Motown Radio. I'm your host for tonight, Peter, and joining me are two awesome people. Uh, first, we have uh, coming back after a, a, a little while since the last time he's been on. We have Prashanth Ayer. How you doing, Prashanth?
1: Doing pretty well, Peter.
0: Yeah, and uh, also joining us, is, as as per usual, is JJ. What's going on, JJ?
2: Oh, not a whole lot. I'm, uh, I'm just kind of basking in a moment right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so we are going to spend a lot of time talking about the most exciting Red Wings news in, in quite a while. Um, but first, we are going to talk about something that just happened as we were recording this. We were recording this a little bit after 10 p.m. on... Uh, Tuesday night, and a a hockey game has just finished between the Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Maple Leafs' Twitter is melting down, which is actually a little bit... It, it's kind of hard to tell the difference between that and normal Maple Leafs' Twitter. Um, it's just a little bit worse than usual. So, um, Prashanth, I'll go to you first. Um, obviously, this is something we've all been talking about probably the last couple days. So... What were your feelings about this series and the way it ended? Uh, how much did you enjoy this
1: I mean it, for me it's it's the second best day of each year like right after you know if the wings are in the playoffs and obviously the best days as far as they get but then the second best day is when the Leafs are eliminated because I, I guess it's just it's always a, it's so much fun to watch each year because of the rivalry that's existed for so many years and then kind of the recent resurgence of the Leafs has kind of brought a lot of people out of the woodworks who Um, let's just say, maybe sometimes have a sense of entitlement to things that they haven't won since 1967. (laughs) Um, But, you know, coming into this series, I actually thought it was going to be very evenly matched. I thought this was the closest coin flip. And honestly, I'm just mad the final score wasn't 4-1. But I'm I'm satisfied nonetheless. Now I can go back to hoping Boston gets swept because they're my you know next least favorite team on that uh, remaining. So... That's kind of where
0: I'm at right now. Yeah, I know. For me, uh, it's it's kind of tough because the, um, like the Maple Leafs have some players that I really enjoy watching. Like I really enjoy watching Austin Matthews and Nylander. I think Marner is probably in my top five favorite players to watch in the NHL, just in terms of entertainment. Um, but with them having Nazem Kadri, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, and like you said, along with their fan base, it makes it a lot easier to uh, kind of rejoice a little bit in their elimination. Uh, so, J.J., how are you feeling right now that this this series has ended the way it did?
2: No, yeah. Amen to that. Like, it's it's only been as we're recording what it's been what, like 20 minutes since yeah. uh, the game ended. And uh, the the dirtiness has already started sinking in on like how hard I was pulling uh, for Boston by, by accident. Like, obviously, I was rooting against the Maple Leafs. I was not rooting for the Bruins. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's very much like Toronto got rid of a lot of the stuff that I really hated about them. Like, Leo Komarov and, and Matt Martin are gone, and I hated those guys. Nazem Kadri got himself taken out of the series uh, pretty early, so th- there wasn't it, that. Like, I actually like Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and, and a lot of those kids. Um but, like, I, it, the sufferability of the fans is, is such a huge uh, play in there. Like, yeah, Boston fans are, are insufferable, but honestly, they, they've gotten more sufferable as, you know, they've been around forever. Like, at least their their team and their city has, like, won stuff. Uh, Toronto fans just have that, like, they've got the, the insufferability that, that Chicago fans very much had in, in 2009. Um, and I hope that they continue to be that insufferable because in 2009, Chicago fans were still uh, suffering. And the suffering is, is really, really good. So, <laughs> right, let's, like, go Columbus. And I, I hate rooting for John Tortorella, too. But still, I, I, it's, it's going to be all in against Boston at this point. Uh, but I'm very, very glad that they eliminated uh, Toronto. And I was very, like, it's hilarious to me watching all of the things that Mike Babcock got praised for shoot that team in the foot and like kind of really casting a, a light on he is who we all thought he has been as a coach and yeah he was a good coach in his in his time but I, th- I think the game is like passing Mike Babcock by at this point and it's just like it's not working like uh, Matthew's played less than fewer than 20 minutes
1: right? Yeah, it was only at 18 minutes. And it's actually, it's, it's fascinating, like, you bring that up because it just, I had this thought today that how, how good were the, the, the wings then back in the mid-2000s? Were they winning in spite of some of the decisions that he was making? or uh, I mean, obviously he's a great coach. We, we know that. But I think if you look back to when Toronto hired him, I think probably the perception of him around the league was he was the league's top coach. And there was a sizable gap between him and the rest of the coaching, you know, uh, league at that point. And I think now, if you look at it, I think you can make an argument that maybe he's a he's a top ten coach in the league. But you can't tell me that you'd take him over Barry Trotz or Gerard Gallant, like with what those guys have been doing in the last couple of years with basically nothing. Yeah, uh, it's it's fascinating to watch, and now you're you're seeing the frustrations of. A team like you said, J.J. and Peter, like this is a highly skilled, highly likable, really talented Maple Leafs team. I have no issues with really any of the players minus Kadri, and they can't get it done another year in a row, and they're exiting in the first round. I'm sure you can blame the playoff scheme all you want, but fact of the matter is he's making bad decisions as a coach that may be directly holding his team back, and I think it's, it's just fascinating to watch this development. Because the Leafs still owe him, I think twenty five million dollars. So,
2: yeah, yeah, that's the hilarious thing is. I remember thinking, I, I don't even remember what year I started. Like that thought crept into my head. Like he's been the coach of a super dominant team, and he only won one cup. And it was always very much like, well, it is really hard to win a cup, and the luck of it all all came out. And you know, it, it's it's just you know the way the way things work. But every year that we get more separated from it and stuff like this keeps happening. Like I don't think that this Maple Leafs team was, was a true contender, but I think they were good enough to beat Boston in the first round and they didn't. And I think that you can, uh, you can point to coaching issues that, that led to that. So like, yeah, it started off as kind of like a tongue in cheek. Like, oh, yeah. Babcock is, you know, he, he rode the coattails. And then every year it slowly got like, no, I, I think I, I think I'm buying in like, and I, at, at this point right now. I've, I fully am on the level that um, that Dan Bielzma would have won the 2008 Cup uh, you, know, you could you could plug in basically any NHL caliber coach and he would have won one at least one cup with that run of Red Wings teams he was given hmm. like I don't think Mike Babcock is a garbage coach but I, I think the yeah the, the deification of him uh, has been. Severely overblown.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said before, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it was uh, Prashanthi said, uh, you know, Barry Trotz this year, uh, when you look at how poor the Islanders were defensively last year, and now obviously Robin Leonard and and Thomas Grice have played very, very well, but just having good goaltending or, you know, even great goaltending is not enough to, to change I mean, like, I I forget it. I looked it up. I forget exactly what it was, but I'm pretty sure they were, like, last in the league in goals against, and it was, like, a hundred more goals than this year, or some, some, like, ridiculous number. Like, there's no way that's just a goalie. Like, a lot of that is the systems that Trot's put in place, and when you look at it, the players that are different, <laughs> most of the players are not considered good, you know? I mean, like uh, like you said before, Komarov and, and Matt Martin, um, you know, nobody's thinking that these guys are going to be the difference makers in terms of taking a team and and putting them over the top or whatever. Um, And obviously, you know, obviously losing Tavares. Um, So I think, you know, I I, I think it's kind of hard to – or hard not to compare those two uh, when you look at what, what, what happened this year. Um, all right, so we're going we're gonna to talk about the, uh, the Steve Eiserman hire uh, for, for a while. Uh, but before we do, I figure since, since we're talking about this, and I don't know exactly when the next time we're going to record one of these. Um, so we've had a bunch of upsets in the first round. Obviously, there's still some matchups to be determined. We have Vegas and San Jose playing a game seven right now. Uh, and then tomorrow, we have uh, Carolina and Washington playing a game seven. So now that we have most of the teams in place, and we've seen a lot of these big upsets, um, let's see. JJ, I'll go to you first. Like, what what do you think? What do you now think is going to happen? Like, you know, we talked about this. Uh, I think on the last episode, we kind of talked about like who we think. or I know we talked about who we want to come out of the East and West and stuff. But like, wh- who do you think now is going to be the team to come out of the East and the West?
2: Yeah, my bracket got screwed, and I'm too proud. <laughs> And I I'm too proud to play that uh, that second chance thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, just, I'll just just live with it." Um coming out of the East, honestly, I am finding a, a hard time saying that uh that Boston isn't uh, a pretty strong contender out of there. Like I I, I mean, Columbus plays uh, does a lot of things right, and I think they They may actually be, like, Columbus and Boston will be a really interesting thing because they they tend to, like, play very similarly. And I think Columbus has, um, I think Boston has more high-end talent. I think uh, Columbus does have a little bit better depth, and I think they got better goaltending. So that will be interesting to me. Um, Washington having trouble handling the, the Canes is is also interesting but i also think that that could be something that that boosts washington i i think that the the islanders are, are basically the biggest paper tiger there um they are very strong defensively but i i just don't think that barry trotz is going to be able to, to pull them all the way through the east um my ultimate thing is i think that like i, I think that a surprise western team whoever makes it out of the west is going to win the cup and i don't really have a good reason for that other than uh, I mean, Tampa got swept, and I had them winning the Cup, so uh, I must be dumb. So the very last thing I think would happen would be the West winning the Cup, and that must be what's going to happen. Um, as far as the West, I I still don't have a good read. Like, I've been watching uh, a, a lot of this, but, like, I don't know. Each team has, like, specific holes in a, any given series. It's kind of like rock, paper, scissors in, in terms of, what is, is, and isn't working at any given time for, for all of these teams.
0: I really do think that the Boston Columbus series is going to be a really good one. Like you said, I think, I think, I think the, the other series, I think it's going to depend on which team comes out. I think if it's Washington, I think that Washington's probably going to win. I don't want to say like really easy. I don't think it'll be like a sweep, but I don't think it's going to be that close. Um, Whereas I think that Carolina and the Islanders would be a really fun series. I think that that could be interesting. Um, but, but who knows? I mean, like, you know, like I said, uh, Carolina, Washington are playing tomorrow night and that, that series has gone back and forth a lot. Uh, seems, a, I, I, think it's, I think it, it obviously it's had a lot to do with what team is playing at home, um, which would favor Washington, uh, tomorrow night, but you know, game sevens are kind of their own weird thing. Uh, and, and who knows what's going to happen? Uh, so Prashanth, what do you think, what do you think is going to happen?
1: I mean, this, this has been just probably the most fun playoffs to just sit back is kind of a semi unbiased observer. I can't say totally unbiased because I've gone to all the hurricanes games here, but, um, it's been fascinating to watch just like JJ I had Nashville over Tampa. So clearly I know everything. Um, and that worked really well. Um, And if I'm kind of sticking with JJ's mentality of just picking what's not going to happen, sure. Why not? The Islanders are winning the cup. Like (laughs) I literally said there was no redeeming quality about the Islanders and then they go and sweep the penguins. And so, I I mean, I I just wonder if they almost remind me a little bit of the ducks back in 2003 when they uh, swept the wings back then. And you're just like, that team has literally nothing. They had Paul Korea up front and that was legitimately it. Um, and somehow they just kept dominating because Jaguar just stopped everything that hit him. And Leonard's kind of him the same thing. And the Trot's defensive scheme reminds me a lot of what Babcock used to do in terms of that close-knit 5-on-5 when he was coaching Anaheim back then. And so I'm picking the Islanders the rest of the way because, hey, that's the least – that's the thing I would have least expected. <laughs> yeah. Now, I will certainly change the answer if Carolina can find a way to sneak through because – I've been just remarkably impressed by them against Washington. I mean, they're missing two of their top six forwards right now and still really taking it to Washington. I mean, the Caps, if you look at their five-on-five scoring, has basically been non-existent for most of the series. Um, I mean, Carolina's dominating that five-on-five. So if they can stay out of the box in Game 7, which I figure Game 7 is not going to be a penalty-dominated game, regardless of how many actual infractions are committed. Um, I, I mean, I like Carolina in there, and it looks like Svechnikov's probably going to play tomorrow. Um, so that might change that token. And if that's the case, I think Carolina, if Mrazic keeps playing the way he's been playing, they're, they're a dark horse to come through. Um, out West, I think Dallas, same thing. We all know what playoff Ben Bishop is. He did it to the wings multiple years, and he's doing it again. And, you know, I, I just think... Dallas is kind of a surprise team that has a lot of really good pieces. Miro Heiskanen looked great so far. They've got a lot of depth scoring up front, Um, especially that addition of Zuccarello has really changed that team. Now being able to roll Ben, Sagan, Zuccarello, you know, Radulov, they've got just so many pieces. Um, And they're scary. So, hey, give me a Dallas Islanders final with the Islanders winning it. I have no idea.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, basically what we've seen so far is to expect the unexpected. So we'll have to see if that continues. All right. So we are going to talk about the 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 big news, the uh, the reason that this episode of Wim Radio is not going to need a positivity corner, um, because we've been talking about this for at least over a year, uh, more than more than that. But we've been talking about it seriously since uh, he stepped down as the general manager of Tampa Bay. Um, but recently it became official on Good Friday that Steve Iserman was coming home. Uh well, I mean, he you know, his family lived here, but he was coming back to work, uh, in Detroit. He was going he's going to be the well he, he is now, sorry. He is now the um the the next general manager of the Red Wings. Uh so he is replacing Ken Holland. Ken Holland for, for at least for right now is, is staying with the team. Um, he's gonna be uh, you know, still going to be a, a senior vice president. And I know he's going to be, I forget exact title, but like something in charge of hockey operations. Let's see um, on the, if you listen to it on the for sure podcast, we, we actually got an episode up that night. Uh, Jay and I talked about our, uh, our initial reactions of uh, basically spending the whole day going around with a smile. Uh, so, so Prashantha, I know, I know you had a similar reaction. So basically like, how'd you find out? How'd you feel when you found out? How, you know how was that day for you
1: I mean so i I happened to just I was at the hospital and I was uh just scrolling through Twitter on a quick break and I happened to see that and I like did a double take because I was like all right someone has photoshopped a blue check mark onto <laughs> I remember who I saw on Twitter I was like all right this is a bunch of garbage like this isn't real and then all of the insiders started dropping it and I was like uh-oh this is this is amazing. So automatically, like, basically fist pumping in my office is <laughs> is the initial reaction. Followed by. I don't think you could have wiped that smile off my face that day. I had the biggest like shit eating grin just all day. It didn't even matter like what was going on. You know, it was like the kid walking away from like the house on fire. It didn't matter what was happening. <laughs> shit eating grin on my face, and it was going to be great all day. And so I, I made sure I rushed home to catch the presser and. It was just, it was wonderful. It was everything I wanted to hear. And I was like the first, it was really the first thing that's really re-energized me as it pertains to this team, because it's just felt like a slow descent into madness. And eventually it became difficult to keep fighting the same battle over and over and over, writing the same thing over and over and over. And now all of a sudden there's something different and it's new and it's exciting and it's, saying the things you wanted to say and that's what Eiserman coming back was for me.
0: Yeah, on the uh on the on the For Sure podcast I dropped in the the clip from uh, Fight Club which is uh where Brad Pitt is saying, you know, tomorrow will be the best day of Raymond K. Hessel's life. His breakfast will taste better than any meal you and I have ever tasted. And that's pretty much how I felt the rest of that day. Uh so JJ, what about you?
2: No, that's that's uh, described it perfectly cuz like all the like, I was already happy with the direction of the team, and I was already, you know, feeling kind of, kind of good going forward. At least hope has returned, and then, and then Iserman came in. Like that just kind of colors everything with in an even brighter light. It's it's the rose colored glasses that I was I was already feeling. So I woke up on on Friday and. You know, the first thing I, I, I do, not to get too into detail in, in my day, but I do you know, go to the bathroom with my phone and check my phone. Um, and so I had first gotten on Twitter and I saw the tweet like 10 seconds before uh, Jeff texts me. And this is pretty early in the morning. So if if Jeff just is texting this early in the morning, it, it better be something like, hey, Iserman is coming home. And yeah, it it literally says he's coming home, baby. And so, yeah, that was fan- – that was kind of a I'd stayed up too late the night before, and I, I kind of got out of bed like, hey groggy. And that just snapped me awake. It was like instant uh, espresso enema right off the bat. And then the entire day, was like, ah, oh, crap. I was so much I, – I—I it was my busiest day at work for like two weeks. <laughs> and I, I haven't had one as busy since, and I, I didn't have one bu- that busy. So I was like, I didn't get to see the presser live, and I'm just – I'm in – I'm in, do, I'm doing my job on Friday while that pressure is going on, just thinking like, Oh God, shut up. How can I focus on this? Like I should have, I literally, I should have called in sick. Like I was just happy sick that day. Um, and honestly, that feeling has, uh, has not quite gone away. Like I'm still riding high even after the weekend. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to essentially like, cause I, I not to, to jump too far ahead but I'm really looking forward to essentially I think the plan is going to stay uh, decently unchanged from what I was expecting Holland to do, but just having Iserman do it instead, just like, yeah, let's do it, baby. <laughs> yeah. and
0: it's We were talking about this before. It's definitely going to uh, probably change the fan perspective on some of the moves that are going to happen in the near future. Um, so actually, yeah. So I mean, like, like let's, let's transition into that. Um, so Prashanth, you wrote an article. Uh, it's, it's funny because, um, I'm, I'm certainly not going to say it's outdated, but just because when you were writing it, you were, you know, thinking that Ken Holland was going to be the person making these moves and, you know, you know, you were talking about what what you thought, uh, you know, if you were in charge, like the moves that you want to make and how it's not necessarily, you know, what you think is going to happen. Um, but so, so, you know, we'll start with you because obviously since, you know, you put a lot of thought into this in the, in the very recent past. Um, so, I, I guess first of all, let's uh, you know let's talk about like you know what do you think are the biggest things that the team should be doing in the near future, um, and then how do you think that Iserman coming on board is going to change that? If if you think it is,
1: yeah, I think the biggest thing, like the number one overarching goal for the next two to three years, is basically sitting out and outweighing these bad deals. Don't add anything extra to the pot. Make sure you take care of re-signing your uh, restricted free agents so next offseason will be a big one for Detroit. But really the most important thing that Iserman can do this offseason is just be patient, don't add bad contracts, and let things just take the natural course um, in terms of contracts falling off and kind of natural prospect uh, escalation. So, I mean, that's kind of the number one thing that my plan had kind of focused on. And as far as Iserman's impact on that, I actually think it might get executed now. Like the guy came in at the presser, and we'll dissect the presser certainly more later, but he comes and he says, look, I need you to be patient. We're not contending for the cup. We're going to take our time. We're going to do this the right way. I'm not going to come out and make a splash in free agency just to make this team a little bit better which seemed to be like ken holland's trump card for the last five years was let me pick up the 10th best free agent to make this team four percent better than it was the year before when you're starting from a baseline of crap so like i i was just so exciting to hear that that level of patience may actually play out but that that's by far the most important thing for the wings to do at least for the next two to three years
0: yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, reading your piece, I uh, I mean, I, I forget exactly everything you said, you know, so I forget if I if I agreed with, you know, 100% of the things you said, but I know that I agreed with, at, at the very least, the vast majority of, of what you wrote. Um, and, you know, like the, for me, the biggest thing was what you said is, you know, not to make a move just to make a move. And I think that's probably what, most of us ha- were worried about going into this next off season because you know we talk a lot about on this podcast about how you know ken holland will say something and red wings twitter will take him literally and think that that's that means a hundred percent that he's going to do what he says um and yes sometimes he does do do things that were like oh why why, why the hell did you do that um but then you know there's other times where he'll say something and then You know, it it turns out that's just kind of, you know, him being a typical GM where he's not going to say everything that he's actually going to do. He's going to, you know, put information out there uh, and try to be vague, et cetera. Um, But I think uh, I I, I think I I definitely feel more confident uh, that the team is not going to do something where they're going to try to abandon the the rebuild strategy where, you know, they're going to try to cut corners and try to uh, go faster than, than they
2: really can. Uh,
0: so, so JJ, what do you, what do you think about this?
2: Yeah, I I think it's funny. Like, uh, specifically mentioned the, you know, uh, we're trying to get, uh, you know, three or 4% better and uh, where we, uh, I, I totally agree. Like I, I don't think that it's going to be Iserman style to try to like get the, the team marginal improvement. Um, but I, I think what we actually ended up doing at the GM position is essentially get 3 or 4% better. Um, you know, the, the coming in and tempering the expectations right off the bat was absolutely appropriate. I think they already had the good groundwork laid for a rebuild plan that, yes, it took too long to get to the rebuild, but once they actually, once they decided they were going to rebuild, I like the way they've been doing it, but I have more, faith and confidence in Steve Eiserman carrying these things out, uh, having, you know, more self-control on the free agents getting And honestly getting better deals. Uh, I, I think that whatever has played into it, you know, whether it's like the, the, you could call it uh, Holland has kind of run in unlucky a little bit or the, uh, at some point, the GMs kind of decided in the cap era that they did not want to get taken advantage of by Ken Holland. And I, I think there actually is something to that. Like a lot of, like they were kind of gun-shy about it because Ken Holland had um, really gotten the best of, of a lot of GMs over the course of, of his tenure. And uh, at some point, that, that dried up because nobody wanted to be the guy who handed the Red Wings the next, their next Stanley Cup. Um, with a, a, a different guy and a, a new, Voice and a kind of a, a fresh way of taking it. I, I think that they, they, like I said, I've got more confidence that Iserman is going to not get unlucky and take the right steps and be able to have a few more doors open that I'm not sure that Ken Holland would have been able to have. Open.
0: Yeah, I think. Um, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, it's funny because I'm always thinking, you know, for a uh, you know for a podcast conversation, it's always. You know, it's probably more interesting when we disagree with each other on right. some things, but I mean, it's kind of like I think we're all pretty much on the same page. Um, I mean, you know, maybe we can just get a random uh, Red Wings Twitter person to come on and and voice, uh, you know, the, the the you know, be the voice of negativity. Um, yeah,
2: we need a negativity corner in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know,
0: we we need to really reach for it. And actually, um, I I do think one thing I am interested in is how long is it going to take for something that steve eiserman does whether whether or not it's actually a bad decision for the fan base to be like yeah that's a bad decision you know like we talked about kind of like the you know the honeymoon period uh where things that maybe ken holland would have done as well but they they're going to be treated completely differently because it's a different person doing them so i think i think it's going to be interesting to see how long that lasts for um i mean i imagine quite a while but i think it'll be interesting i mean I, I have a feeling if it was toronto it would be a lot it would be a lot shorter
2: well that's a funny thing I was, I was just thinking of the the good uh level there is what happened with because right now you can you can search twitter for fire babcock and just drown Oh yeah. um but there was very much that honeymoon period when Babcock went over. It was like all, you know, Oh you know, He's, he's playing his, his fourth liners a little bit too much. And, you know, he, the guys is, is really all about the, you know, the Ty goes the veteran stuff. And, and Babcock got a few years in Toronto before, uh, before it really started to get like, okay, this is that that's enough Babcock. Yeah. Um, with the GM position, it's totally different. Like, I, I don't know how long I'm going to get plus it's not exactly like Babcock went to Toronto as the the our, our our good boy is returning either. I almost called him the prodigal son, but that's no, not no. a very good. He's not yeah. the prodigal son. Yeah, um, he is. He is Detroit's son. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I I think that Eisman will get a lot longer. I I do think that there is going to be a certain section of the fan base. That's, and, and here's what I'll say. I, I, just totally off on a tangent. Just saying it out loud. I am beneath the surface, absolutely terrified here. Um, because if Iserman comes in and like he is really putting his reputation uh, on the line here, trying to take over this rebuild, as, I mean, uh, as a GM, and, and objectivity, uh, objectively, like it, it's already kind of like taking a hit in that he couldn't get, uh, he, he basically couldn't build the Tampa team to win a cup, but I don't care about the, the rest of the, the hockey universe. I, I care that my memory of Steve Eiserman is still very much tied to like my being 15 years old. And if Eiserman comes in and, and fails, like he's really putting his, his legacy on the line with me in a portion of my psyche that is like n- not an adult. <laughs> and I, I don't know how I'd be able to handle that. Like, like if he screws up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's
0: definitely the downside. You know, the, the potential for, uh, um, I mean, you know, we, we saw it in in Colorado. Like, you know, not that I'm saying the two are comparable in terms of their ability as, as executives. You know, that's the same thing we saw in uh, in Colorado with Joe Sakic, who is a you know similarly beloved player for the organization. Is, um, you know, obviously a captain for a long time, etc. Um, and you know. You know, Joe Sackick and the Colorado Avalanche are pretty, pretty synonymous. Uh, and so it was interesting to see the reaction uh, that a lot of the moves he made uh, had out there. And obviously we don't want, you know, we, like you said, we don't want Eiserman's reputation to be sullied. So like we talked about before, um, on Friday, there was a press conference in the afternoon. And um, I think J- JJ, I know I know you couldn't watch it live. Did you end up getting a chance to watch it later?
2: Yeah, I actually ended up watching it uh, today.
0: Oh, okay. Great. Uh, so, yeah, because I know, I know I saw it, and uh, Prashanth, I know you got to see it because uh, we were talking about it. So, um, Prashanth, I'll, I'll go to you first. So so, what were your thoughts on this Prince Conference in terms of, you know, I mean, obviously the whole goal of this is to unveil him uh, and, you know, get the, the Eisenman era off to a good start publicly. Um, you know, but then you know the press was able to ask questions, etc. Uh, our our good friend Max Boltman got got a little bit of camera time at the end uh, with with a question. Um, so, what were your thoughts on the press conference specifically?
1: Yeah, I think there's kind of like two two angles to analyze it from. One is the Steve Eiserman angle, and the other is the Ken Holland angle. I think from the Eiserman angle, like I stated earlier. He, uh, he came in, he said all of the right things. I think he made it very clear up front in terms of what he's looking to do. He came in and laid out a clear plan And that I'm not coming in, I'm not turning this around, I'm not making you any promises. What I am going to tell you is we're going to rebuild this team, we're going to be patient, and we're going to do this the right way. And ask me in five years how we've done um, but I'm not giving you anything before then, and I think to me that was the biggest kind of shift in mentality. Because anytime you got dialogue from Ken Holland, there was always this veiled GM speak where it was, you know, we want to win, we want to compete, we want to have a winning culture. He never gave you anything that amounted to any sort of plan. And as JJ alluded, maybe that was part of him not wanting to give away anything at all, playing it very close to the vest. Um, but really, it was just refreshing to hear direct speak from your general manager outlining a clear vision um, for the team. And so I think Iserman gets an A-plus for me in that regard. And I think analyzing it from the other angle, the Ken Holland angle, boy, did he look sullied up there. Like, he, he looked a little kind of unsure of how to carry himself, unsure of what to do with his face, unsure of what to do with his hands. Like, And then he got zero questions from the press. And so I think, you know, I think a lot of this, and I don't know how much of this is true. This is kind of the way I imagine this playing out in my head is that largely he feels that he deserves a lot more credit for building the wings over the last 20 plus years. All of that has eroded significantly with his decision making over the last decade. And as a result, I think the fan base has largely turned on him to the point where it's almost like you guys are ungrateful and you know what? I'm done. And he's turning it over to Steve. He says, here's who you want. I'm bringing him in. He's going to step in and bye. You guys are ungrateful for that. Now, I have no idea if any of that's actually true. That's just how I feel. It played out in my head. But that's That's certainly how it looked like he was carrying himself at the press conference. Like, all right. You guys see, I'm done. You don't have to hear anything more from me in that respect. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, we'll probably never know for sure. I mean, obviously, you know, if he writes a book down the line or something like that, you know, then obviously that's something he could talk about there. But, you know, know, I I think there's at least a decent chance that we'll never really get an answer. Um, I mean, I, I do think he definitely... He definitely looked like he was on the verge of tears a few times, I think. Um, and obviously that could be a couple different things. It could be what you're saying. It could just be kind of the gravity of, you know, I like, I, you know, when I was writing the, the quick article for this, like, you know, I knew obviously he'd been in the organization for a long time, but I couldn't remember off the top of my head how long. And I mean, you know, it was like 1987, I think. He was, you know, he, obviously he wasn't the GM then, but, you know, he joined the organization uh, and I mean, that's a, that's a long period of your life. And, you know, again, like, I mean, w- what you said definitely could be true, you know, either in part or in whole. Um, but I think it, it also could just be the gravity of this, you know, you know, I mean this is a substantial portion of his life and it's basically coming to a close. Obviously it'll depend on if he does stay with the Red Wings for a while, or if he, jump you know goes to i mean seattle or, or any other place um and i mean you know at some point you could just hang it up you know just retire uh i imagine that's a you know an option as well if, you, if he wants to um i know the reports in the paper and and again this is always tough because you don't know if this is like an actual if they actually have this information you know from talking to him or if they're just speculating you know but there's been a lot of speculation that he wants to you know like, like he really wants to be a general manager um you know that's the aspect of this that he loves and that he'll maybe try to pursue that elsewhere um so yeah i mean i, I think re- regardless of what the reason is i think it, it was pretty clear that he was emotional um so jj you, you just got to watch this today so actually the, you you know your, your view of this is a lot fresher than, than ours um so so what were, we, what were your reactions to uh to watching that today
2: yeah that was the the Ken Holland looked like he'd just come from the veterinarian's office, who told him about the the diagnosis for his cat uh, that was not positive. And it was that has not been a cat like I mean it was, it, we've seen enough of Ken Holland over the years at, at press conferences, you know, with with good news and bad news, to know that's basically not his his normal countenance face. It's not his like waiting to talk or hey we've got great news. That was like the read that that was a pained expression is unless we hear that, you know, he, he'd eaten some bad sushi uh, prior to that press conference. I, I, I think the read that, yeah, he was really unhappy uh, is, is, is accurate. Um, I don't remember if it was a, a TSN article or something that had come out recently that, that basically said that. Holland had been aware that the fan base had turned on him and exactly like percent had said, like he was, you know, feeling really, really raw about that. Um, and narratively it, it really fits like, because I've, you know, we've, we've gone for, for years and years uh, of going like on these locker room cleanout days and these, these comments that Holland has made and kind of like yeah, uh, you know, especially at Wim, we've been pointing out like this is what we would expect a GM to say to the press, and we we here's here's what we feel is the truth. And honestly, like we know that Ken Holland has been lying to us for his entire tenure. That's his job as the GM. He's a salesman. It's not his job to tell the fans the truth. But it's harder and harder to tell these kind of lies when your team is bad than when it's like the kind of like oh Ken Holland, you lied. About this one thing when we made the conference finals, um, you know, and constantly having to like and wear on even the most, uh, you know, that can wear on even the most dishonest of men. And I don't think Ken Holland is is at his core a, a dishonest man. I, I think that he is, was a, a general manager. Uh, there is a part of a salesman piece to that job, but yeah, I, I think that there is very much something to the. He was always kind of aware of where the Red Wings were at, and knew that the rebuild was going to have to happen, and knew that he was going to basically take the brunt of of whatever blame, and is is feeling kind of raw that like it it fits narratively for for my imagination that Ken Holland was under orders to keep the playoff streak alive as long as he could, and that was going to mean to delay the rebuild and to kind of hurt the the team. Uh, the team's chances during that period, and he did it like a good soldier. <laughs> and the fans have, yeah, the, we've we've murdered him for it. And it's it, he knew it's not like I, I feel bad for him because he w- he's a smart man. He had to have known that was going to happen. Um, but yeah, this whole like here, he, it's time for for Iserman, and plus, I think he also knows that that Iserman is not is not likely to do a lot of things drastically different from him, but the way the fans are going to view it is going to be pretty drastically different, especially yeah. during this honeymoon period. So that was, uh, that was interesting to me. And, it, and the other side of the press conference was, it was such a weird, like, cause they were all lined up. It was, it was Holland to Iserman's right and Chris Illich to Iserman's left. And it was very much like Ken Holland was, was very, worn down very uh raw emotional and, and natural and chris looks looked kind of like jude law in ai like he like <laughs> his face looked painted on and like and i'll I'll tell you right off the bat i've i've got a bias against chris illich that may or may not be fair um but you know, I, I remember like i was seeing a few of the tweets during the the press conference basically like shut up chris Hillis, stop talking <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and i was like i really got to understand that um <laughs> It was weird. Like at some point he referred to his mother as Marion Illich. Like yeah. she was a, a friend or, or somebody else who works in the organization. And that was kind of like, why would you say Marion Illich? Understand? Mm-hmm. I, I understand you know, don't like and mommy. I was talking to mommy and she was really happy to bring. But like, you know, you could, calling her Marion would have been fine. But Marion, just yeah. coming out as, it was weird to me. <laughs> so. Those are the uh, totally not really important kind of things I, I have to say about the presser, uh, because I, I feel everything else has really been kind of Like Eiserman's honesty, and I think that was one of the the good things that is kind of native to Eiserman being here. Is I do think Steve Eiserman does have uh, more latitude to tell the uh, to tell the the blunt truth um, because he is essentially the favored son. Than, uh, than Ken Holland ever had to do, and Ken Holland will have had to be the salesman. And again, this is not a you know, poor Ken Holland kind of thing. I, I totally agree that it was time for him to move on, and I'm glad that he has um, moved out of the GM role to, to be the one who making the, the final decisions. Um, but putting it all in the context, it all, it all just kind of fits naturally for me together.
0: Yeah, I think watching watching that press conference, because like, I'm trying to remember – if I'd ever seen Chris Illich before, I mean, I've read quotes by him, but I, I, I don't typically watch a lot of the press conferences. Um, and so I, I, you know, I don't even know how how involved he has been in the past. Um, but, yeah, watching it made me think of uh, that, that. If there's ever a movie made on this, that his his part should be played by Mark Evan Jackson, who is uh, he, he's a character actor that uh, um, he's uh, if you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, he's uh, Captain Holt's husband. And he is – I forget who else. Uh, He's in The Good Place and and a bunch – he basically kind of plays the same character on those. But he he doesn't really talk like him. He kind of talks in a more clipped way. But the the facial expressions reminded me of that. Um, And, yeah, I think I might have been one of the people tweeting, shut up, Chris Illich. (laughs) Let's get back to Iserman.
1: (laughs) At Uh, times it felt like Chris Illich was there to fluff Ken Holland's feathers. Ken Holland and none of being in that room – because everything was about Steve and so it was just yeah. very awkward to watch
0: yeah for for this episode uh we didn't put up a mailbag because basically it was you know the whole point of this episode was was mainly to talk about the Eiserman hiring um and we felt that you know, that's what we we're going to talk about. So um, but we do have a, a, a sort of question, uh, a, a sort of mailbag question, if you will, uh, coming from from uh, Jeff, who uh, longtime listeners of Win Radio will remember as being the host of this for a long time, um, or at least at least one of the hosts, I, I should say. Um, and, yeah, I, I think this is a really good question. I think this is the, this would be kind of interesting, interesting way to either. End on, or you know, we could we could talk more if we if we think of another topic. So here it is: um, Does Iserman as general manager impact or change Blashill as a coach? The players he gives him obviously impacts things, but does Blashill's approach change at all with a different voice in charge? Hmm. That's
1: I'm a, that's a question. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that obviously Toronto is highlighting for us abundantly right now is the disconnect between the front office and the coaching staff in terms of how they view certain roster decisions. And I think that's been a big thing all year. I think honestly, from our standpoint, we don't really know what Eiserman is going to do from a roster standpoint. I don't know what his roster philosophy is you know if you look at kind of the more high profile situations in tampa particularly his handling of jonathan druin and handling him um, uh sergeyev and kind of still signing some of those older veteran players like dan girardi and and things like that i d- i don't know how much is truly different philosophically than what ken holland has kind of laid out the last couple of years i mean remember this is where he trained um, so my initial impression is there is going to be nothing different from Blasho. I think the biggest thing will be how the organization chooses to handle analytics. I think that's going to be the big unknown for us right now. Um, with player tracking data soon on the way, I think there are going to be teams that are well prepared for it and teams that are just not prepared to handle it at all. And if there are relevant conclusions to be drawn from that data, you'll see some teams like Carolina and Toronto are well positioned right now to use it. And other teams that just don't have a department in place uh, won't be able to. And so I think the only thing that would potentially alter the organizational philosophy is what Iserman's buy-in is to analytics. And if he's all in on putting together a uh, analytics department that, is going to feed the coaching staff more information than just situational statistics, which is what I feel like the wings have been doing for the most part. That's what Blashell always tends to quote is with, you know, this situation in this defensive zone, we didn't do this that well. And that's not what actually matters. And, you know, I think that's the only thing that could potentially change, but otherwise most of what I've publicly read about Eiserman's management style is that his philosophy is, very similar to what we already have in place.
0: Yeah, J.J., what do you think?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and I think in terms of how Iserman is going to change or affect or rein in or uh, release uh, shackles from Blashel, I, I don't foresee much changing. I think that... Um, it was interesting to me in, in the pressure and I, it, it makes sense because it, the way that things cross was, you know, Iserman doesn't really know Jeff Blashill, you know, and he, he mentioned that it's like I, you know, we serious. So my, my biggest response with him was, was when Syracuse, when he, when he beat Syracuse in the, the Calder Cup playoffs a few years ago. So, uh, you know, I've, I've had some conversations with him, but I, I don't really know him, I, but Iserman just left a team with a coach who is you know, Blatchel's best friend, essentially. Um, now, Blatchel and Cooper aren't the same person; they're not the same coach. And I think a lot of people uh, do agree that that John Cooper is generally a, a better coach. But, and I I don't know about that anymore, and I, I'm not really it, that all that concerned with comparing the two of them. But I think that um, we've already seen. Blashill, after being given the, uh, okay, here's your young players, um, develop them. That's what this year is for. And I don't know how much different Blashill would act based on that. So, um, yeah, I I think it's literally just a case of I do think – I I totally agree with the I don't think that the organizational philosophy is going to differ all that much from what Eisenman is going to do going forward versus what Ken Holland would have done in the exact same situation. I think when it is appropriate, the Red Wings are going to uh, get back to kind of signing uh, veterans and and getting uh, grit guys. I don't know if Blasio is going to be the coach by that point, um, but that's, again, not something that has anything to do with my, uh, with Iserman being the GM. Um, I thought before he, he stepped down as Tampa's GM, last fall that uh, Blasio was essentially going to be the coach until it was time to take the next step as an organization. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't see anything changing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I pretty much agree with that. Uh, uh, obviously, things could happen that we're not expecting, but I think that that's, that, that, that's the most likely scenario. Um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, at, at the end of this season – uh, you know, due to injury, there are a lot of different players in the lineup. And b- one thing that I do think is that I think that Blaschel has always wanted to play a more up-tempo style than he's able to with the players that he has. Um, and I think, I you know, I, I think at the end of the season he he was kind of able to do that. Maybe because even though some of these players weren't as skilled as some of the players they were replacing, um, it did seem like they were able to move the puck up faster. Um, now, I'm not saying that that means, oh, you know, if 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 that's able to happen next season, they're going to take some giant leap forward. Um, but you know, I, I do think it's interesting because I think a lot of times in the preseason, it it, it always seems like Blackwell's trying to play that up tempo style then usually the beginning of the season still trying to do it and then it it gets to a certain point where he kind of can't do it anymore he has to you know try to play more of a low event uh style of hockey um so i think you know that's i I don't know if that would change at all i think that might be one potential change if if we're going to try to figure out something that could possibly change i guess um but yeah i think it's interesting uh percent of what you're saying before about you know the analytics side because that's something when we talked to uh We talked to alan uh loser points on uh for sure that's you know that's that's one of the things that he he brought up um and it's interesting because now there's uh there's definitely some available people um it seems like minnesota seems to be firing a lot of people right
1: yeah i mean you know andrew thomas is a free agent in july i mean he would be the best free agent signing the wings could make this offseason so just throwing that out there
2: (laughs) yeah
0: yeah, so 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 Steve, if you uh, if you subscribe to Wim Radio, uh, once you took this job, then uh, you know make sure you pay attention to that. Write that down.
2: <laughs> well, who do you think Peter? I remember uh, you talk, talking to Alan on for sure about yeah. the guys that Iserman might. Uh, I'm sorry, the people uh, that Iserman might bring with him from Tampa, and I remember Alan had said uh, Murray, the director of, of uh, scouting, right yeah was the one that they were most terrified like, Do you agree with that take do you think that like if we could only grab one person that worked under eiserman in tampa um are we going with uh with murray or, or verbeek or, or are there other people that we're kind of like keying in on that we definitely want to uh, take or at least guys in detroit yeah. that we want to replace I, don't, I mean
0: from you know after i mean you know like when i was talking we were talking to alan i had I had heard I had heard that before from from a bunch of different people. So, um, I mean, I don't really know Tampa's organization that well, but basically everything I've heard has basically said that that would be like Al Murray would be the the the, the, the best person that we could take from there. Uh, person, like like do you do you know somebody I'm not thinking of?
1: No, I mean that that would be if you're gonna pull somebody from there. That's that's who I would want to pull. But at the same time, I think just as much. Uh, effort should be made to getting rid of the echo chamber that has existed in Detroit for a long time. Eiserman um, certainly coming back doesn't really change a lot of that, given that this is where he trained and worked and no one was actually fired here. You know, everyone was just promoted in different directions. But I think mean, one of the biggest issues for me over the last few years is that there are no dissenting opinions, or if there are dissenting opinions, they're very well masked because um, it just seems like you've got a lot of guys who've all come through the organization. They all learn this one particular philosophy and therefore are only capable of, you know, doing this one particular thing. And it was, it was a fascinating, like, a fascinating comparison that I think of. And it's not, you know, a perfect apples to apples, but it's like if you have two mixed martial arts instructors and one instructor chooses to train every single one of his students the exact same way that he fought versus the other instructor looks at each individual student and trains them to the best of their abilities, if you take that one instructor, taught all of his kids the same way and match them up against the others, probably not gonna be all that successful. And sometimes that's what it feels like is the case in Detroit. They all learn the same things from the same organization and I think sometimes a struggle, it's a struggle to get outside opinions. So to me, you get more value just adding voices. It doesn't even have to be replacing people. Just add new voices that haven't been in this echo chamber that can offer a different opinion, and maybe you come up with better ideas.
2: No, that's a great point, and that's something that that's a, a huge potential pitfall. Because I was I was thinking earlier, like. One of the things that I do that that brings me more hope going forward with the Eiserman hire was I don't think that Ken Holland could have done it, but I do think that handing Steve Eiserman the reins as the GM it, it would never happen in a million years. But there is the concept of if GM and ownership do not see eye to eye. If Ken Holland would have gone to the press with the, I don't think, I don't like the way that the owners are, are making me have to uh, keep chasing the the, the playoffs uh, when I don't think it's appropriate. Uh, he'd have gotten fired and the fans would have been like, oh, Ken Holland's whiny and it would have ruined him. Steve Eiserman whether or not he's ever going to do it and he will never do it, the very potential possibility that it could happen if Steve Eiserman went to the press and said, I think Chris Illich is running this team just for money. I, I think he's the next dollar bill. Um, who do the fans side with? The fans are not siding with the Red Wings. If if Steve Eiserman comes out to the press and says something like that. So giving him that, that, that bullet, that ability, even though, like I said, I'll say it the third time, he's never going to use it um, has me hopeful, but there's also the concept of, you need you need voices. You need the the, the court jester in there to say, "Let's not have an echo chamber." How do you prevent that when it is? I am Steve Iserman. How dare you? Cha- how dare you challenge me? I am Detroit's favorite son. I am GM. I am in charge. Um, you know how? How dare you tell me I have no clothes? Um, obviously, we have to rely on what we've known about Steve Iserman for all these years and and his humility and his ability to take criticism. Hmm. <laughs> but uh it's it's still yeah. a concern.
0: We said we didn't we weren't gonna have a negativity corner, so at least we, we ended up on a little bit of a down possibility note.
2: <laughs> You're welcome.
0: We did it. <laughs> Alright, so um I guess uh before we uh before we sign off, is there any last thoughts from uh, from either of you guys?
1: I'll go back to a point that JJ made earlier and just want to reemphasize this. Uh the wings are not contending in the next five years without the moves made by Ken Holland over the last two years. I think when we look back on this five years from now, when the Wings are maybe in the playoffs, I think a lot of people are going to forget that. But the moves he made, particularly that Tatar trade, um, trading Tatar, trading Nyquist, trading Smith, trading Shahan, trading Sproul, all of these moves he made in the last two years, cleared some of the logjam granted that he created but you're not a you're not in the position you are right now which is potentially a favorable one without the moves made in the last two years
0: yeah absolutely
2: yeah i got nothing to add to that
1: cool all right though that that
0: seems like a good place to end it so um we will be back at you in the near future um, so thank you so much for listening, uh, for JJ and Prashanth, uh, I'm Peter and let's go Red Wings.